welcome to another episode of the Big Picture Business Podcast. Today, we have another amazing special guest with us. Cannot wait for you guys to get to hear. I mean, this guy's knowledge is just insane. So it's going to be fun. Ira S. Wolf is a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body and the world's first chief Googleization officer and top five global thought leader on HR and future of work. He is president of Poised for the Future Company, founder of Success Performance Solutions, a TEDx speaker, host of Geeks, Geezers, Googleization podcast, and frequent presenter at SHRM conferences and meetings. Iris podcast, Geeks, Geezers, Googleization was recommended as one of the top 50 podcasts to listen to in 2021. And his most recent book is Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, now in its second edition. It was selected as one of the top 50 books to read in 2021 by Thinkers360 and recognized as one of the best recruiting books of all time by Book Authority. So welcome, Ira. We're so happy you're here. That's a mouthful. Thanks very much. I appreciate the opportunity. It's good to see you guys. Yeah, you too. Now, I have to say, for those of you either watching this or listening to this, the first thing you got to do after you're done listening to this is go watch his TED Talk. It's phenomenal. He talks all about change and adaptability around change. And change is happening all the time. Like you mentioned, Ira, the quote that comes to mind is you talk about it being like a clicker for the TV, right? Change right. is constantly just changing all the time. Channel surfing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what I love about you too, is that you actually were a dentist. Is that right? I did. Uh, that's certainly part of the change, you know, part yeah. of my history. Yeah, yeah. I started my career as a, as a dentist. Don't, uh, if you watch the TED talk, I mean, I'll, I'll give that part away is I have no idea why some, some time in fifth grade teacher said, what do you want to be when you grew up? And it, I, I was a W. So, you know, I, I listened to everybody else and it came to me and I stood up and said, I want to be a dentist. And then I was just too stubborn to say, I, no, I really didn't want to do that. But, uh, you know, anytime <laughs> anybody asked me through grade school and what are you going to be when you grow up? Uh, you still want to be a dentist? And you go, yeah, I guess so. Um, and, and I did. And, and, you know, I went through all the steps and had a very successful practice. And, um, you know, I loved everything about dentistry, but dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> so what ended up happening? Uh, what was that transition like when you were like, okay, well, I don't want to be a dentist anymore. But that um, started pretty early. I, I, you know, I think it was even through dental. In fact, my first day of college, I, I remember I, I, it was right before Labor Day weekend and you know, long ago. Uh, and then came, I, I came home and I remember telling my, my parents uh, I was going to switch majors. I wanted to go into business. Because um, I came from a business family. Everybody was in retail. And then the next generation, all my cousins went into consulting or marketing um, so, I mean, that was a natural progression. I was the only one who ever went to medical, to a professional, a professional school from medical school. Mm. Uh, and so I, I always was like having one step out of the career, uh, but I did well. I mean, I, you know, I was a good student and, and uh, it was a goal I had set and there was an opportunity uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I, I couldn't wait to open my practice and I did, but it, to me, it was a, it was a business and it should be a business. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of professionals, whether not just dentists, but physicians and accountants and engineers, uh, you know, they, they basically hang a shingle out and mm. that's their life. That's, that's who they associate themselves with. That's their title. Uh, I always looked at it as a pathway. Uh, at, you know, it was a journey. And, uh, you know, 
throughout time. I, when, when I started, I said that by the time I was 45, I wanted to have the opportunity to, I was going to have a consulting company. Uh, and it was mostly going to be, is I'm going to teach other dentists and, and, and other professionals how to manage their business. You know, it came up and it, I, I stayed much too long in dentistry. I, when the, uh, I was just on an interview yesterday and they asked, what was, what's the, the biggest failure you ever had? And the biggest, I, I've had a couple, like we all do, <laughs> you know, as things you learn from there, uh, they, they help make you stronger and better and you, you learn from them. Uh, but the biggest mistake I had was I kept pushing because I thought I could figure out how to, how to stay in, a, in, in doing a job I didn't like. Hmm. Um, and so I literally was playing round, six rounds of golf a week. Uh, I was working 20 hours. I, I had 20 patient hours a week. Wow. Uh, I, I brought in an associate. I was having, on paper, I had a great life. And I literally hated Sundays because, wow. you know, it was one day away from Monday. Um, and the less I worked, the less I liked it. Uh, <laughs> and I just got completely burnt out and I couldn't wait to get out. So my transition was a little, it wasn't rough because I had the sale of a really healthy practice. So I had income coming in, but because I was so burnt out, I just like stepped away from, from really saying, what am I going to do in the next chapter? And just took like two years of, of floundering around and, and sort of goofing off, <laughs> um, uh, you know, and had I really thought about, this is going to be an, a transfer and the transfer won't be an escape out of something I didn't like doing, it would be a transition to something new. Um, but when you're burnt out, you're burnt out. You, you, your head's not clear and you're not sure what you want to do. So I started the business right away, but it was evolving. You know, it, 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 my heart was, I, I, you'll say, what's your business? What are you going to do? And it was like, I'll have a consulting business, but that's broad. There was no goal. Uh, so I, I advise anybody else if they're, you know, they're in that position, you know, while they're burning out, think about the next chapter. Don't wait till you're burnt out. Mm -hmm. And just because again, I, I, it was, it was, I, I couldn't wait the day I left the practice, which was December 29th, 1995. I literally walked out and never, ever looked back. People said, you spent all those years, all that money in building a career, building a brand. And I had one of the largest practices in our, in our region. It was like, I went to one, I, I needed three credits to keep my accreditation for maybe it was four years. Maybe it was another two years. Maybe it was four years. I needed three credits. All I had to do was go sit someplace for three hours and listen to somebody speak and I'd get credits and I'd be, I, I could have kept my license. I, I left halfway through it. <laughs> I had like, no, it, I couldn't do it. It was like, there is no way I'm ever going back. Anyway, so, but that's a long time ago and uh, I never looked, you know, I didn't look at it as a failure. I didn't look at it as a mistake. It allowed me to do what I did. It allowed me to, you know, to grow. I had a good lifestyle. I fortunately had a, a, the opportunity to be able to, to move on. But the, the, the hidden message in all that is, while, although my transition was, you know, I, I would look back and I wish it was smoother, I learned transferable skills. People said, how did you make that change from dentistry to business consulting. Like, what do you know about business? I, I just shared this story today with somebody. It was actually a medical school that contacted me and, and that they want to screen their new high, their medical students to see if they're a good fit. 
for the school and for medicine, which was interesting. And I, I said that a long time ago, they should have done it. So, but in that, I, I basically said that I used to get paid um, a reasonable amount of money for differential diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, for a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And it was covered by insurance. As a dentist, as a consultant, or, you know, as a business in, in business, there is no insurance. Nobody, <laughs> I can't submit your fee. If you called me and said, hey, I need some help. I can't submit my diagnosis to you for that. Um, instead of taking x-rays, we do pre-employment and leadership assessments. Hmm. Um, I'm still in the diagnostic business. I'm still using critical thinking skills. I still use my marketing skills. I still use my relationship building skills. I use my communication skills. I learned none of that in dental school, I assure you. <laughs> uh, and although I, I don't have a transferable skill right now of drilling and filling, you know, um, everything else got transferred. Um, every, everything else I was able to turn into a completely other business, which I love doing. And so I've been doing that for a while. Long, long way, long way around there, but hopefully there's some lessons in there for, for other people, especially now, a lot of people in transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Extremely inspiring for a lot of folks that are just hating their day jobs. We get a lot of people who listen to this podcast that are trying to make that transition. So this advice is just huge. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. (laughs) Let's talk about adaptability. And we, I mean, Rory and I know adaptability is a key component to success, right? And regardless of what stage of life or business, can you dive into that a little bit for us? Well, that takes us back to the, to uh, the the TED talk, you know, for what we were talking about. Um, You know, I I described myself as always dancing with change and I did. I mean, we just described the, my, you know, my transition from dentistry and, and I didn't see as much, I didn't see it as much of a change as everybody else did. Everybody else thought it was remarkable. And I just thought, Hey, I, you know, shut down one business, start another start, mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneurs do that all the time. They're in one business and then they sell it and then they, they start another business. And that's not unusual. I, though I, I put myself in that perspective, you know, we're, we're living in this VUCA age, you know, V-U-C-A, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Um, it was a term I heard 20 years ago, and, and I, it resonated with what I, you know, imagined and what I thought the world was going to become. And until 2020, VUCA was this military term. It was an executive C-suite term. Um, it was a, in, in tech, you know, that we lived in this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world. But to the, you know, to the to Joe and Mary and you know Dom and Rory walking down the street, it didn't mean anything. It was like, ah, I still got my job and yeah, things are changing really fast, but you had a choice. You had a choice if you use the, well, it's becoming less, but if you, if you had a smartphone or not, you had a choice, you know, which brands you had a choice if you wanted to telecommute, you know, or work, you know, find the job that you can do that uh, or, or find the job you had to go to work a year ago, 12 months ago, it ended. Yeah. I don't know a better acronym that couldn't describe 2020 was volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. We still don't know. I mean, it's still ambiguous. We don't know what the the result's going to be. We know it's, we know there's a lot of uncertainty. It's definitely complex. The volatility, you know, it depends who you are and where you live and your state. But for some people, the world's moving really, really fast. And other people were just adapted to it. Ultimately, every human being on the planet is going to have to adapt to a new environment, uh, which also leads into we're all hungering, you know, we're all, we can't wait for this new normal 
or getting back to normal or return to normal. And I don't know anybody that has said that uh, we've gone back to work and it's normal. It's different. I just talked to somebody just today. Uh, this it all runs together. <laughs> it's Blur's Day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I it all runs together. I talked to somebody and said for the first time they took a train into New York in over a year. Hmm. They they live right. They live in Jersey. They took a train and it was like it was so. They said it was so unusual. It, it, it's just not natural. You know, they thought they'd get on the train and yeah, it wouldn't be as crowded, but the whole experience was good, excited that you got there, but it was just different. And that difference is going to stay with us for a while because we're, we're going to have this uncertainty. There's not going to be a magic number. Even if we reach hundred percent of herd immunity, uh, there's going to be new variants. There's going to be new changes. There's going to be terrorism. There's the economy is going to go up and down. There's going to be new things that are constantly happening at a faster rate of speed. And we're going to have to learn how to become, you know, adaptable, which we're, as a human, humans are horrible at adapting. <laughs> we pride ourselves on our grit, our perseverance, and our tenacity and our determination. And we pride ourselves on on you know, boy, it was a terrible year. And look, you know, let's pat our look, you know, don't hurt yourself, but let's pat ourselves on the back of how resilient we are. The problem is in this state is everything changed around us. So people are expecting to walk back into a workplace that is normal, that used to be like it was. And that doesn't exist. A friend of mine, John Sinai, love listening to him. He talks about, we're going to have multiple futures. He actually describes himself as a futures strategist. And I wish I came up with that. <laughs> it's not a futurist or even a future strategist. It's a futures strategist. Because we're going to simultaneously have waves of new normals. It's waves of normals, not a next normal, waves of normals. And how you experience it may be completely different than I experience it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, again, loving change and, and worked. I, I've been remote for 15 years, so I didn't have a problem making adjustments uh, in fact, it was great for me because now there were a lot of people that were home, <laughs> but, that they weren't in meetings all day long. They weren't on planes, trains, and automobiles all day long. Uh, you were able to get a hold of people that normally you would never get a hold of them. So for last year, the normal was great. I mean, I made, I made last year very normal. I now have what they call a fear of normal, FOMO. You've heard of FOMO, F-O-M-O, which is fear of missing out. Well, FOMO is fear of normal. Wow. <laughs> and it's a real thing. There was a Wall Street Journal wrote about it. They didn't call it FONO, but the Wall Street Journal wrote about it this past weekend. There was a big story that there's people fearful of getting back to normal. Now, there's two sides of that. There were the people that were introverted and loved working at home and they just want to work at home. So they sort of went back. They found their spot and they're okay. I don't necessarily want to go back to the way it was because there were things about the past that weren't good. I'm very fortunate. I was able to speak in 2019, you know, like at 32 different conferences. Mm. And you sort of get into that and it's like we're on planes every week and, you know, different hotel rooms. And my wife traveled with me and we got to tour the cities and saw a lot of people and, and that was all fun. But when it stopped, it's like, that was crazy. Why were we doing that? <laughs> you know, we were, 
we, we spent a lot of time and I spent a lot of money. I wasn't as productive as I could have been. And, you know, initially it felt really weird as like, crap, I was supposed to be I, I, every single week last, last April and May, I was supposed to be in a different place in a different conference we had. And then we had weddings and celebrations and all this stuff lined up. And then it went away and I was like, oh, we were grieving. And it's like all this stuff got canceled. We had all these plans, all these future memories disappeared, you know, that we, that we thought about. And then it got comfortable, fell into routine, created a new opportunities, had opportunities to talk with people, created new business, found new focus, found new purpose. And now there's a fear of people not being available like they were. Mm-hmm. I went up just last night to plan our first trip. And now I'm considering whether we're going to cancel it. Um, it was a conference. And we were really, it was exciting about going there and the air travel. I mean, there's half the number of flights. Um, you know, it used to be a two hour flight. Now there's one nonstop a day. And it will take me literally six and a half hours to do a, what used to be a two hour flight, mm-hmm. which means now it's like two days you know, going and coming. Do I want to go back? (laughs) I have a fear of what that normal is going to be. So there's a whole group that's fearful of the future of of the next normal. There's a group that's fearful of of going back to normal. And we got one step in the future, one step in the past, Um, which is going to be interesting. And I'm not sure it's ever ever going away. You know, fortunately, I I sort of, you know, weirdly enjoy (laughs) that uncertainty. Uh, but so, uh, yeah, it's going to be, but it, we're all going to have to become more adaptable. That's yeah. Sure. So if there was one strategy that you could give people for becoming more adaptable, what would it be? Well, one is uh, we have, we have an assessment. It's called AQAI. It gives you sort of a footing. How do you compare to other people? The good news about adaptability is that part of it, you can change. Part of it is our nature, but it doesn't mean you're good at it or bad at it. It just means it influences it. So like extroversion, if, if you're an extrovert, you talk to other people. So, you know, you can talk online, you can engage, but you need other people to talk things out. If you're an introvert, you sort of muddle through it yourself and then you think about it. Uh, obviously, both of those strategies may impact your ability to adapt, who, who you hang with, you know, who you're listening to, what podcasts you're listening to, uh, what do you read, what, what, what's your family and, or your, your coworkers feel about. Um, but there's five abilities. I mentioned grit and resilience, and those are usually the ones that people say that's what you need. But the other three abilities are one is mental flexibility. It's the ability to deal with paradox and ambiguity. My explanation of, of dealing with, uh, or with mental flexibility is turning on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News at the same time <laughs> and not getting angry at one, <laughs> but, but saying, you know, if we combine what this channel saying and this channel saying and this commentator and that commentator, how do we make sense of it? It's really mental flexibility is making sense of all this crazy news that's going on out there. We obviously are living in a binary world because one's right. Everybody believes one's right and, and the other one's wrong. What we need to be able to do is, is part of adaptability is making sense of it. How do we make sense of that? Make our own decisions. Uh, so obviously, we're, there's a lot of people that are lacking that, that ability for mental flexibility. Just, just look at the polls and you'll see we have mental flexibility as a need. 
but growth mindset, you might, you know, many people might be familiar with that of mm -hmm. uh, fixed or growth mindset. If you're not, uh, just do Google search, do a Google search, look up Carol Dweck, W uh, D W E C K. Uh, she talks about, and she did the, the, a lot of work, a lot of study on kids and it's, Hey, you know, we've been through this before we know how to tackle it, or I can't admit that I don't have an answer, you know, as an expert, uh, as a parent, as a teacher, as a boss, we dropped the authenticity, we dropped the transparency, we dropped the vulnerability. We had to live up to our title. We had to live up to who we were. It's like this, the student who has a perfect 4.0 and they really, really are interested in taking this course, but they know it's going to be really hard. And it's a, it's a hard instructor and they may get a B. Mm. So they don't do it because people won't think they're as smart as the you know, it's like, well, what's wrong with you? I thought you were so smart. You got a B, you know, you got an A minus. People stop taking challenges. They stop growing. They, they sort of, they have this fixed mindset that I'm going to do everything I can to protect my brand, my title, my, my reputation. You can't do that anymore. I mean, because that could be gone. Growth mindset is, uh, you know, constant pursuit of learning and, uh, and unlearning, which is, which is another part we'll talk about is unlearning the behaviors that don't work anymore and learning new behaviors. Uh, it's not only unlearning skills, but it's unlearning behaviors. Um, and so it's continuous learning, but it's the ability, as I was talking before, you know, was it a mistake that I practiced dentistry? Uh, yeah. I mean, I can say, yeah, I should have had another journey, but I also took what I learned. It wasn't like, what a waste of 18 years. I'm going to have to switch gears. No, there was, I learned a lot during that path. I made mistakes. I've been divorced. I made them. I had mistakes. Should have done some things differently. But you learn from them and you grow. So growth mindset, mental flexibility, growth mindset, and then I mentioned I'm learning. It's not just bringing in more information. It's not just going back to school. We need to make room in our heads for that. Especially if you're, you know, you're a baby boomer. You're older. You got lots of stuff up here. Not to get super technical with people, but if you're familiar with defragging a hard drive, that's how I explain it. Um, you get all this data and what happens is pieces, it, it's like a filing cabinet where A is in this drawer and B is somewhere else and C is in a box. And you say, we're going to reorganize it. We're going to take all the stuff that's been collected in our mental hard drive. We're going to collate the information that's important. We're going to put A, B, C, D together mm -hmm. and we're going to delete all the rest of the stuff that we don't have to save anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's not a brain dump. It's not forgetting everything you had. Um, but unlearning is defragging our minds. It's let's take what we used to know. We'll need it at some point, or maybe we'll need it. Let's put it away that we can access it, but let's make room for something new. Let's make room for learning something new. And it's hard. It really is hard. I mean, how do you dump, you know, 20 years of experience? You know, you work for a company, how do you, um, and, but that's what we're going to have to do. And we're going to have to, and a lot of people are going to have to do it fast. Younger people, you know, you guys are, are younger than I am. So, I mean, there's, there's less that you have to dump. Um, you're closer to the digital generation. I mean, as, as most of my peers are completely di digitally illiterate, <laughs> um, you know, and it used to be growing up is like the, you know, the grandparents, you know, the, the kids taught the grandparents how to stop the flashing lights on the VCR, which is really giving away the, my age. But that was 
that was what that was. Now it's like, how do I get this app? My phone's not working. Uh, you know, uh, you know. So people have smartphones of all ages, uh, but they don't necessarily know, you know, how they work. Or if something goes wrong, they don't know how to fix them. We're all going to have to be much more adept at being able to do that. So when we talk about adaptability, it's grit, resilience, mental flexibility, uh, growth mindset, and unlearning. Uh, those are all learnable skills. You know, how do people help? You know, there's a million people. I mean, just do a search for that. Uh, that's what we're building. I mean, we have the assessment now. Uh, we're starting to work with companies, but we're literally building modules that we can go up and say, here's an exercise you can do. And then some accountability. We're flying the plane, but it's not out there yet. And, but stay tuned. Uh, but right now, the assessment is available. It's online. We got people around the world completing it. It's, it's fun. It's actually done through a chatbot. So what, what's the benefit of someone going through the asset assessment? What are they going to learn and get out of it? Yeah. So there's 15 dimensions we measured. I measured, I, I talked about five of them, uh, the adaptive, the five adaptability, there's five character elements, uh, like extroversion. It's like this, like five dimensions, like a personality, quick personality assessment of how you might, how your personality might impact your influence, your ability to adapt. And then it also talks about the environment. Talks about uh, if you're working for a company, or are you? Does the company support you? Do you have emotional support, like for family and friends? Do you have team support? So it looks at uh, we call it the ACE model. It looks at your abilities, your character, and the environment in which you're in. It then compares it to uh, you'll get a score, which is normed, so based on the studies. But you'll also be able to compare yourself to other people. Wow. Uh, you can you just it, it actually it's interactive, so you click a, a you pop a the little button, the tab, and also compared to other people, you know, national average is 502, you scored 601. You may need improvement, but you're doing better than most people. You know, if you're 249, it means you have a lot of work to do. You're, you're really following, you're at risk for falling behind. So what it does, it's, it's just taking the pulse of, of who you are right now. Are how adaptable are you? How change ready are you? Ultimately, it's about your risk uh, for being left behind. It's your risk for change readiness. It's your well-being. Um, you know, is is your are, if you're comfortable right now, does that mean you're you're foolish and naive, or does it mean you're good? You've got the skills to, to keep up. It's going to be really important. We've been doing some work on well-being, even health status. We talk about the four stages of adaptability: is are you declining, coping, growing, or thriving? Where do you fall in those stages? There's a lot of people that are just merely coping. And that's what grit and resilience does. It helps people from falling into the pit, but it doesn't necessarily help them grow. And we're interested in helping people grow. We, we want people to go to the next level. We want people to succeed in the future. And what got us here isn't going to get us down the road. I was mentioning, for those of you, you know, most people have probably taken an assessment one time or other, the DISC or Myers-Briggs or you know, even online, a personality, and, and it's a statement, and then you pick a choice, what your answer is. This is all done through a chatbot. And so you can have you explain a what a chatbot is for maybe a few? Yeah. Yeah. If, if you've ever gone up and um, had a conversation with somebody and it was, it was technology, it wasn't a real person that was doing it. So you ask a question and then the, the technology responds. They ask a question about you and then they identify. All of a sudden you're, you're having a conversation with software. <laughs> mm. it's, it's a 
FAQ, for those who, who may not remember, like a, a frequently asked questions uh, on a website, uh, you, you'd went up and you, you look to see, oh, somebody asked this question, here's my answer. Well, it got automated and they, it got smart. You apply AI to it and it gets smart and people can anticipate what, what you're, you know, you ask that question. So this is what you're probably thinking. So I'm going to suggest this. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of help desks are, are like that. A lot of websites are like that if you, in, you need support. The reason I bring this up is because about, I believe the number is about 40% of people don't even realize that they're talking to an automated system. Mm-hmm. I've got, some are so good. I, it's funny, Rory, you, you bring that up. Our CRM, and, and I'm not saying it's a great CRM, but I, and I really don't think their customer service is that great, but I posed the question maybe a couple months ago. And it was going back and forth. And the way the questions were being phrased, I was questioning whether I was talking with somebody. <laughs> and it got to the end and they actually solved the problem. I mean, they answered it and it solved the problem. And they said, is there anything else I can, are there any other questions you have for today? And I said, are you real or are you a bot? And I got back this smiley face. Said, no, I'm real. <laughs> But I'm still not sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't the response from yeah. the software. It was that fluid. It was that good. Now maybe my questions were routine, and other people, you know, a lot of other people ask them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're getting. You you don't know. It's not like the old. You know, you can talk to human beings, and they don't. They're not that fluid. You don't get yeah. the right answers. <laughs> uh, the timing. Know, the well. the timing too. Because there's some kind of like if you have a, an iPhone, you see those dots that, that show up when someone's typing. I've seen that too, where the timing is just perfect and it's a bot and you have to question like, Hmm, and you can set the timers with these things. So yeah. Well, we hope ours are, we hope our questionnaire is that good yeah. um, <laughs> as you're going through it instead of answering a question is, you know, sometimes I feel, sometimes I get angry, you know, I get, sometimes I get frustrated easily if things don't go my way, or I really enjoy hanging out with friends. Um, and then you agree or disagree with those statements. This is delivered through a chatbot, through a conversation. You think you, it, her name's Ada. You think you're, talking <laughs> with, you, you, you think you're ta- having a conversation with Ada. And the same thing happens. It's like, oh, thanks very much for that answer. And while you're doing that, you're getting the dots. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it flows. What's also interesting, if both of you took it at the same time, you probably and, and you didn't answer your questions exactly the same way the questions that you would ask, the order would change based on how you responded. So it's adapting. It's trying to make it more comfortable for you to get a more transparent, real thought rather than somebody saying, oh, this is, this seems like a test. I know what they're asking here. You forget because it's just in a conversation. Wow. Uh, We're going to have to take it at the same time. Yeah. I'll I'll be happy to send you a link. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That sounds awesome. It takes about 20 minutes, but so the experience of actually taking the assessment is different than what most people have ever, have ever done. Hey, Ira, let me ask you, what has surprised you most about your adaptability research? That's a really good question. I think what surprised me most was how much emphasis people put on grit and resilience you know, and, and maybe that's because they're familiar with it. And, you know, there's been a lot of work, Angela Duckworth and everything. Um, what, but I, I really believe people are naive and underestimating 
how quickly the world is changing. Hmm. So I, I think people are patting themselves on the back. Um, the popu- a lot of the population that we tested with this, I mean, we didn't have a lot of frontline workers. We're, we're now trying to get them into this, to, into the pool, into the assessment side. Yeah. Because those are the people that are really in danger of being left behind. A lot of the people that, you know, haven't initially been part of this are either professionals or, or consultants or people who are interested in adaptability. So the scores are skewing a little higher than we anticipated at this point because everybody's saying, oh, we're doing pretty good. You know, everybody's sort of in the top half of the curve. But in reality is then you read the news, you know, how, how can you have six out of 10 people suffering from some type of mental illness, anxiety or depression or stress? And yet everybody says, we're doing good. Yeah, no, no, no. We're not just, we're just not coping. We're doing good. So, you know, I'm diagnosed with anxiety, stress and depression and burnout at the highest rates, but we're all good. Uh, I don't know if that surprised me or terrifies me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, until people recognize that they, they need to learn to change, not even change, become more comfortable with that level of uncertainty, you know, and be able to adapt to it. You know, just look at the news. There's so many people that are just, what are the, there's a new term for it. I think it was revenge buying, but it mm. was, which wasn't necessary buying, I, I forget. But it was basically sort of revenge buying that people are were, have this pent up demand and they're just going to unleash this, which will be great for the economy, by the way. Maybe, maybe not so much if, if everybody gets sick again, but, but there's, I mean, everybody's going to have this revenge process of going out and saying, see world, we're, we beat you. We defied you. We're good. And six months later, it's going to be, you know, we're exhausted. I mean, what do we do next? That worries me. I mean, because we have so many people that just want to go back to the way it was, you know, even through laws. <laughs> so I won't get into the politics of it, but even trying to roll back the clock on civil rights uh, and other issues that we're trying to just go back to the way it was. And, you know, we can't defy you can't defy mother nature and you're not going to defy the rates of change. But on the positive side, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. I fully have the right at this point in my life to wake up in the morning and, and say how horrible the young people are, how, you know, what the world just falling apart and government, you know, government's terrible and be skeptical, be pessimistic, be down, be, be depressed about the news. And I watch the news and yeah, it is depressing, <laughs> you know, on many days. Uh, but I don't, I wake up every morning. I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to run on all cylinders. Um, I think about, you know, uh, hopefully I have another 30 years in me, but uh, my vision is like 20 and 30 years down the road, you know, that what I see, what the world can be. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I hope, you know, to be able to do. So there's, you know, part of the world's optimistic and, and hopeful and, and the other parts a little dystopian. <laughs> you know, uh, of, of what it's going to be. I want to get more people on my side. Real quick, for people who don't know, what is Googleization? Yeah, that's an interesting topic. Asked that a lot. One is, real on the simpler one, I came up when I wrote my books, Geek Skeezers and Googleization, which was uh, almost 14, 15 years ago. It was about the four generations in workplace and technology. I was looking for something that, like an alliteration, you know, it was supposed to be geek skeezers and technology. Somewhere I heard, I came up with the Googleization and 
it stuck and it worked. Now it's the name of my podcast. But ultimately, the con- the model was that it's the convergence of people, technology, and business. Hmm. That all nice. all those three things you you're not going to be able to separate business. Well, we we've never been able to separate business from people, but then you you put in technology, and everybody's going to be dependent on on some form of technology for the good. I mean, the the fact is that that we wouldn't have solved not that we solved it. We wouldn't be at this point in vaccinating people if it wasn't for technology, mm-hmm. because the vaccine, the reason it didn't take 10 years to develop, that it took less than a year, was because it's manufactured. It's mRNA. It's literally a genetically developed vaccine. It's not a live vaccine, which is what we happened before. So we wouldn't be at the state we were now if we didn't have technology. Think of even beyond that, think about this. The pandemic, you know, we, we people learned about the pandemic of 1918, <laughs> the Spanish and the Spanish flu. Think about what our world would have been if we didn't have technology. We complain about Zoom fatigue. We complain about that. What if we didn't have that? We probably what wouldn't if, be here. <laughs> if you didn't go to work, there was no work. Where would we be then? Um, and then if we, you know, we didn't have that vaccine, I mean, so technology's saved the day. I mean, there's part of the economy that's thriving. You know, let's just look at the, the stock market and things. I mean, not the, you know, small percentage of the population, you know, can, can, can even relate to the stock market. But that also means that there's a hundred million people that never lost their jobs, a hundred million people that were always working. A hundred million people that had lifestyles, and then there's people that benefited from it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are going to be you know, left behind and, and and not recover. But we have, um, you know, there's there's a real opportunity out there to be able to use technology wisely. We have a long way to go to figure that out. <laughs> so there's a real positive out there. But Googleization was really the convergence of technology, business, and and people. It's my hope that technology will be used to help create a solid foundation that'll help elevate everybody so that, you know, for example, we don't have people left in poverty and mm-hmm. left in needing, you know, medical care and not being able to receive it and things like that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I addressed that in my TED talk. I mean, that was the, 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 you know, the acronym, you know, VUCA. And I've modified that a little bit, but the positive side of VUCA is, you know, they call it VUCA prime was instead of volatile, you have a vision is here, here's, here's where we're headed. This is our goal. Instead of uncertainty, we have an understanding. We, we try to understand it. We can't fix it, but we can understand it. The C becomes clarity, um, you know, that we, we have a little bit, instead of complexity, we have, um, because of understanding, we, we can create a clear path. We have a map. Uh, and then the A is, you know, I call at that time, I called it agility. Now we call it adaptability. By doing that, you have a plan for the future. You, you can kind of take the bad, you know, the craziness of the world that we live in and transform that into tools that you can use to move forward. Very successful people do it. I mean, it's mind, it's mindset. I mean, this is all about changing your mindset. It's either the robot's going to take my job or the robot's going to make my job different, not eliminate it, but make it different, which will allow me to do more of what I should be doing on that human task. I talk a lot about this in HR about putting the, the H back in HR, putting the human back in, H, in human resources. 
Um, is technology in many ways. Companies defaulted to the technology to automate the process, and they took the human out of it. It be, just became it, we, it just became talking with the chatbot. <laughs> it's talking about filling out forms. It's uh, but the reality is what it should have done was eliminate all the administrative tasks that people were doing and free them up to talk to the people, to talk to the candidates, to talk to their employees, not be mired down in creating a spreadsheet and analyzing it, but being able to click of a button, get the answer that an employee needs and spend 15 minutes with the employee rather than an hour trying to find the answer. So part of that is how can technology allow us to be more human, uh, to give us back some of that time. But as you said, I mean, uh, you know, is how do, how do we help have uh, clean water for the world? Uh, how do we stop pollution? How do we eliminate illiteracy? The path to poverty you can't raise people out of poverty by giving them money. You can raise people out of poverty by giving them an education, providing them the tools that they need and providing them food and shelter. How can we do that without saying, well, if we do that, it's going to cost us $10 trillion and we're going to have to raise taxes. That will, won't work. It didn't work. We just hit a brick wall. But if we can, through technology, elevate that. There's more people in Africa that have you know minimal incomes that are starting businesses on a smartphone than we have in the US. And we have more educated people. We, have, we spend a ton of money on education in this country. And yet we're struggling with having people having the smarts to start a business. And yet in Africa, without any infrastructure except a wire, you know, the ability to send a, have a smartphone and a, or a tablet and wireless connection. There's a lot of work going on and, and a lot of these businesses, you know, there's a lot of people starting businesses over there and learning to support themselves and, and cleaning up and be able to improve their communities. Uh, so you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, that's how I see technology being used. Are there going to be evil people in the world? Yeah, I mean, there are, but you, you can't stop trying to improve it. If, if, we can, if 4 billion people can benefit from technology, then let that happen and, and we'll work hard to hopefully prevent the evils from coming out. Yeah, right. <laughs> absolutely. This has been such a joy to have you on, Ira. I mean, you're like I said, you're just a wealth of information and incredibly inspiring. Love your story. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm on social media. You can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter. My website is Success Performance Solutions. You can go up there, always connected. <laughs> much more than I should be. <laughs> uh, we're always connected there. Uh, frankly, you can Google my name and uh, <laughs> I will pop up somewhere. And you had a, a, a special gift for our listeners as well. Is that yeah. right? I do. My, my most recent book, was Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, big cover there. If you're interested, you can get a signed copy for free. You just pay for shipping, a few dollars. You can go to join.googleizationnation.com. You're not joining anything. <laughs> it's like you need it. Uh, but uh, you'll have access to the book just for anybody who's out there and go, well, we're not in recruiting, we're not in HR. The original title of the book is my subtitle, which was when the shift hits your plan. Uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, you see, we do a lot of pun on words, but when the shift hits your plan, the first 130 pages is only about what we were talking about here. It's about change. It's about VUCA. 
It's about the world. It's about automation. It's about jobs. It's about the future work. It's about education. And then it was, how do I put that into context? You know, how do I frame that? And I framed it around how people will find jobs and for companies, how people are going to have to change the way they hire people. So if you're in the market, you're looking for a job, uh, great. But if you're just saying, I'm interested in the future, the, again, the first 130 pages, I could have stopped there and just talked about the future. And so, but you can get it free, join.googleizationnation.com, or you can actually do besthrbook.com. And we will be sure to have all of the links in the show notes for you guys. That's it for this one. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Yeah.